looks at neither Jew nor Greek. Uh, There is neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. Chapter 4, verse 1. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave, though he is the owner of everything. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way also, in the same way we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. And we're reading at verse number seven. We're looking at uh, these uh, Christianese, as I call them, big words that we may hastily talk about, maybe uh, throw around perhaps, uh, uh, having lost some of the sense of their meaning. Last week, we looked at uh, justification And of course, that's available to listen uh, on our website, on Spotify and Apple Play. And maybe one or or two of you need those words defined tonight, uh, as well as what we're talking about. But tonight, we consider the word adoption. And it's probably one of the easier words, isn't it? It's not that big. It's got eight letters in it, 2468, that's right. Uh, it's, it's, uh, It's not that strange a word. It's a, it's a commonly used in our English language. Uh, English language, it's common enough today. It's a word that we all understand and use regularly. As a couple or indeed a, a single person, you can adopt a child who has either no parents or whose parents are unable to look after them. You can look after them as your own, as it were. And unlike fostering, which is similar but temporary, Uh, In adoption, the arrangement becomes permanent in the eyes of the law. It's the legal act of taking another's child and bringing it up as one's own. It's a great thing to do for for Christians. Can I say that? If if you have the ability, and and surely more do have the ability. And we see the, as we see the care system in our country, frequently crying out for more families to foster and adopt. Foster to adopt, that's one of the... One of the options, isn't it? It's a great thing to do because you, you bring a child into your home and, and care for them and feed for them and provide for them and, and you give them belonging from whatever difficult situation they, they have experienced in the past. It's an even greater thing to bring a child into your home to teach them about, about God and his ways, to pray for them, for they may otherwise not hear. They may otherwise be lost. There's a, there's a great Christian organization called Home for Good, if you want somewhere to, to start to look. Uh, that, that's, that's adoption, isn't it, that, we're, that we know in common use. But, but what's it got to do with biblical Christianity? Well, that isn't so well known. Now, we all know, well, we, we know, don't we, mostly about being born again. That's one way of describing someone who comes to the Christian faith. You could call them a born-again Christian. 
And that comes, of course, from John chapter 3. Except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. King James Version. But adopted people are not born into the family. They, they are never born into the family. So that is perhaps a little confusing. We need to sort of set aside the, the, the ideas of born again or even born uh, to get this straight tonight. Indeed, in the, in the Roman world, which, in which our Bible was written, um, it would be much more common to have adopted an older child, maybe a teenager, someone of that age, rather than a baby. So the link uh, with being born or born again is almost entirely broken when you think of it like that, if it's more of a teenager that was in mind in the biblical authors. Thoughts. But let me read a verse from John 1 verse 12 to set us on the right path and it says this but to all who did receive him who believed in his name he gave the right to become children of God here we can see that God is is acting he gives a, a right to become that right is to become his his own children children of God and that right is tied in this verse to believing receiving yes first and, and believing is also there in someone's name the his of this verse that his that someone we realize from the verses before and after uh, is called christ adoption adoption defined let's bring up a definition biblical adoption is an act of god whereby he makes us members of his family now, as we said, this is different from being born again. Uh, Rodney will talk about regeneration next Sunday evening. He'll explain more of that. It's also different from justification, which we talked about last week. Justification is God's act uh, to make a, a declaration in the heavenly courtroom where he declares us to be in right standing before him. And this, this uh, is not about guilty or not guilty in the courtroom. Adoption goes further let me explain you can uh, acquit uh, as a judge a, a guilty criminal who who has confessed but you don't have to adopt him into your family i mean you'd be you'd be mad to do such a thing wouldn't you a judge could allow his own son to go to jail for the crime of a, a guilty and everybody knows it criminal or who's on trial in his courtroom one day but it to make him one of his family is surely unnecessarily generous. And in another one of the shocks of the Bible, God does this. God does this. God does this to his former rejectors and, and enemies. God could have forgiven our sins and given us a right standing before him without making us his children. He could have stopped at, at the line, as it were. That's important to realize. That's important to grasp tonight. But he doesn't stop at that. What he does is go further, much further. And in that we get the sense of the privilege of Christians. There are adoption privileges. Adoption in the biblical Biblical Christianity sense refers to God becoming our father. That, that's why we, we read in Galatians 4 verse 6 that, that we can cry, Abba, Father, in our hearts. 
Romans 8 verse 15 puts it like this. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Christians have received the spirit of adoption as sons and as a result can cry, Abba, Father. J.B. Phillips translates this phrase as, Father, dear Father. It's how a child relates to his dad. Jesus says to Mary Magdalene as she tries to make contact with him physically after, after he's risen from the dead and he doesn't want her to do that. And What does he say? He says, I'm, I'm ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God in John 20. Now, there is a sense that we are all children of God. Everyone on the planet I'm talking about. Because that's what Paul's talking about in, Rome, in, in Acts chapter 17. He, he's he's uh, at the Areopagus up, up high in, in Athens in Greece, modern day Greece. And, and he says this, for we indeed are his offspring. Speaking to everyone. We indeed are his offspring. God's offspring. But if you listen to the words of Jesus, he now calls the unbeliever a child of the devil. That's his word. He does this in John 8 when he responds to the scribes and the Pharisees by saying, you are of your father, the devil. He, he's, not, he's not messing his words. As a human race, when Adam fell, we all fell. And we effectively voted ourselves out of God's family. That's what happened. We were like prodigal sons and daughters, to use another biblical idea. We're far off. That's what happens when Adam sins and we fall too. But when we become Christians, we are adopted into the family of God. Our, our legal status changes. The name of our father changes. It's, it's back to the way it once was. In fact, it's even better because the second Adam is better than the first Adam. The second Adam is Jesus. The privilege is massive. Let's think about some of the privileges. The privilege number one is relationship. Relationship. As believers, we we relate to God not, not as our as our judge or far off creator, but as our Father. We have been adopted into his family. We we pray with Jesus, our Father in heaven, because we, we're no longer slaves, as the Bible teaches, we're sons. We cry Abba Father to show our closeness. Father, dear Father. In this relationship, God is every is 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 what every good father is. He's loving, he's he's providing, he's protecting. We we fall as it were under his fatherly care. He he loves us. He he loves us in a special way. The apostle John says, "See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God." And so we are. I always think of that, that verse as being from Northern Ireland slang. You know, we say, so we are. But that, it's, it's emphasis, isn't it? It's, it's saying, you know, we, we're children of God and, and so we are, just in case you forget. God really loves us. His fatherly love is compelling. It's, it's unrelenting. It's, it's amazing. And that love forms the, the basis of our, of our relationship where we, where we want to obey him. 
Yes, we're to obey God as his people, but we obey him not chiefly out of dread or compulsion, but because we want to honor our Father. Think of it like that. Next time it seems hard to obey. We want to honor our Father. We want to honor his name. And we love and we honor him by, by keeping his commands, by living how he teaches us to live in his word. Imitating him even. All children in some way imitate their father. Maybe you don't want to. <laughs> Maybe you do want to. But you do. I do as well. As my wife reminds me. And, and in our relationship with God, the Father, we imitate his, his holiness, his goodness, his patience, his mercy and forgiveness, his justice, his faithfulness, his love. The Father provides for us in our relationship. Good things. Think about Matthew 7, 11. If you then who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? He provides good things for us. He's provided good things for you today. Even when we don't deserve it. We can see his hand every day if we, if we look for it. In his timing. In things that people just call luck. You know, in the way he, he's worked things out, in, our, in the blessing of, of our work, uh, in our health, in the food that we have on the table. That's, that's God providing for us, his fatherly care. Chiefly, he gives us the best gift of all, the, the Holy Spirit, who enables us to cry, Abba, Father. That's, that's the way that passage spoke, isn't it? He, he provides for us. He protects us as well. Like a good father, he sends his angels to watch over us. Second, Second Thessalonians 3 says he will protect you from the evil one. And he will, because he's a good father. Privilege number two is family. We don't just have God as our father and Jesus as our elder brother. More about that in a moment. But now we have a whole host of brothers and sisters too. We have a whole new family. For our relationship with God primary relationship also means that we are in that a relationship with others if we're a christian believer then we have many brothers and sisters and some of them we don't even know and we need a big family like that each of us do and, and we're gathered into local kind of units local groups uh, the local church and we know each other here of course and so we should and so we must and we're here together uh, Sunday by Sunday and during the weekend and, and at other times to grow together in God's grace because it's a community project. You can't do that in front of God TV or YouTube sermons waiting for that to happen. God works in us in the local church, in person. And as a family, we, we gather together around the family meal table. We did that this morning, didn't we? We, we, need, we need a seat there with our brothers and sisters at the Lord's Supper where we eat and drink in fellowship and we remember things in our past that we need to remember. Oh, yeah, you remember that? Yeah, yeah I remember that. That's what families do. We remember Christ. Privilege number three. Reconciliation. The war is over. That's what that means. Our enmity with God is, is at an end. We are reconciled to him. We, we eat at his table because you know what? We're, 
we're, we're in fellowship. We're, we're reconciled. We're not apart. We're united. That the prodigal son has returned. He's back in the door. That's us. We'll talk about reconciliation in coming weeks, but it essentially means it essentially means the war is over. We who once rejected God are now at peace with God. We who had once punched the face of Christ are now united with Christ. And that brings peace with God. Privilege for his inheritance. You know that adopted sons and daughters have an inheritance. They're part of the family. They're just as, just as good as any other son or daughter. Absolutely. It's not just gifts in this life that God furnishes us with in our Christian adoption. There's far more besides. Slaves get nothing. But in the future, sons and daughters gain an inheritance. Because sons and daughters are not just sons and daughters. But what's that word we read? Heirs. Do you notice that? Verse 7. End of chapter 3 as well. Heirs. So you're no longer a slave but a son and if a son then an heir through God. We are in fact heirs and joint heirs with Christ. It teaches that elsewhere in scripture. And what is this inheritance that we speak about? Well it's all the blessing and privileges of heaven that are on the table for us. We are children of the king and members of the highest royal family in existence ever. We will reign with Christ over the new heavens and the new earth. And, and you know what? To be with Jesus is the highest inheritance of all. You think of it like that because that's the way it is. As adopted sons and daughters, our inheritance is great. How can we be sure, you ask? Well, because you've already got the down payment. The guarantee of it has already been received. That's, that comes when God places his Holy Spirit within you when you believe. And being led by the Spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, remember? The Spirit of adoption. Privilege five is discipline. Oh, you say that's not a privilege. I don't want to hear about discipline. But you knew this as a child, that there were things you could get away with in front of your grandfather that you couldn't get away with in front of your father. Isn't that right? God is our father. He is not our grandfather. God disciplines us. Hebrews 12 um, says this, For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? And this may sound like a negative to you, or it may sound like a con rather than a pro, you know? But one of the privileges of Christian adoption is God's discipline. Because the truth is, you want to be disciplined. You don't want to be cut loose. You don't want to do whatever you like. Because, like when I, when I tell my children, you know, they need to face discipline so that they stay out of prison later in life. They don't get it. <laughs> they don't. But it's the truth. There's a measure of truth in that, isn't there? Hebrews 12, from where we've spoken of already, says this. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, 
nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. You see, as we struggle against our own sinful nature, as we endure what this world throws at us, God's at work in disciplining us and shaping us and training us in what we learn to resist and flee from in time is, is, is God at work. That, that's a privilege. That's, that's his discipline. But it's the undisciplined daughter who is unloved, you know. Not the disciplined one. The, the undisciplined child ends up in prison and is and, 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 and is, and, and a ruined life. A train wreck. Not the one the father loves. But the Lord loves the one he disciplines. That's adoption defined. We've seen what the what of adoption. It's God the Father bringing us into his family. We've learned about the many privileges that exist for those who are in God's family. But how does this occur? How is adoption brought about? How does this come, thing come to be? That, that we who are not just, uh, in God, not just not in God's family, but actually opposed to God and everything about him, are, are adopted into his family. A family that's all those privileges. How, how, how does this come to be? Perhaps you know nothing of this tonight and are, are asking that question. How? How? Well, consider Galatians 4 with me again, especially verses 4 and 5. Because we read this. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. It's through the actions of Jesus that our adoption is brought about. It's only through the actions of Jesus. God sent him, we read. Um, God sent him to the earth. The, the Father sent the Son to the earth to be born of, of Mary uh, as a Jew, as one under the law, as it puts it, to redeem, to, to buy back uh, those who were under the law so that we, all of the Christians, might receive adoption as sons. I remember when my wife and I lived in Hong Kong about 10 years ago that we went with our church on a trip to visit an orphanage just across the border in the main, in, uh, in mainland China in the, in the border city. And my memories of that day would still come back to me every so often because it was very difficult to see. Some of the children were very sad sights indeed in that orphanage. Some of them just rocked all day because that's all they'd ever done uh, in their chairs. Some were blind. Others had cleft palates. Very easy to fix in the West. But not so there. And it was so heartbreaking. But there was not one thing these children could do to get themselves adopted into a loving family. They, 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 they are entirely... They are entirely dependent on, on the actions of loving wannabe fathers and mothers. And so it is with God's adoption. Now perhaps you don't like the sound of being a son. If you're, if you're a woman, that perhaps jars with you. But you have to understand the significance of that because it all has to do with, with Jesus 
and our connection with him. Jesus is the true son of God. Now, his sonship is, is unique. He's a one-off. He, he's the son of God in, in a special way that none of us will ever be. He's the son of God. And he always has been. There, there's a sidetrack. There, there's an ancient heresy called adoptionism, which we're not talking about tonight, that, that teaches that, that Jesus became and was adopted by God at his baptism, at his resurrection, at his ascension. That, that's, that's false. That's not true. That's not, that's not what we're speaking about tonight. Jesus has never been adopted by God the Father. He's always been the Son of God. And in his work of grace, he brings us into the family with him. United with him, he brings us into the family as sons of God. And we're all sons in that sense because we're with him and he's the son. It's, it's important. The action of Christ occurs at the same time as our, as our justification, our conversion, our union with him. Our adoption occurs then. So even though it, it jars uh, maybe the connection with Christ, the son of God means we need sons here in this verse. And not just sons and daughters or children. It has to be sons. Of course, as men, we, we have our own times when it jars with us uh, in, in Scripture. Think of the biblical image of the bride of Christ. That's, that's all of us. <laughs> but it's, it's one we have to live with, yeah? But how is adoption received? How is adoption received? Cast your eye up to verse 26 of chapter 3, and it says this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. Adoption is received like all the other gifts of God through faith. And once the gift of God is received through faith, once the person in question trusts and believes in what is on offer from the generosity of, of, of God, his grace in Jesus Christ, this Holy Spirit, the spirit of adoption, the spirit of his Son enters our hearts and seals us. And it's not fostering, it's adoption. It seals us. And we cry, Abba, Father, because that's the truth. And all the privileges are ours. The wonderful future inheritance that I spoke about is ours. The new family is ours. Uh, the, the reconciliation with God is ours. The father-son relationship is ours. The, the discipline at, at, of God at work in shaping and shaping and molding us is ours. All because of Jesus, our elder brother. And I trust you get a sense of that privilege if you know and love him tonight. Or if you don't, that I have stated this in such a way that you wish it were truly possible. <laughs> so wonderful is this news. Adoption. Brought into the family of God by Jesus Christ, our elder brother. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for the wonderful blessing and privileges that exist to all who believe in Jesus. Not just our sins forgiven, but brought into that relationship of father and son we have thought about tonight thank you for jesus who leads the way 
saves us by his sacrifice and brings us united with him along with him into your family. And Father, we pray now that this truth would ring in our ears and you would apply it to each of our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And we ask this in our seat.